Well, Merry Christmas to you all. When Becky and I came on staff here at the church um, back in the last century, um, literally, it was uh, 1978. The name of this church was something different than it is today. It was called the North Side Assembly of God Church, and it had been, it had come from uh, the north side of Fort Worth and came to this location sometime in the early 70s, and so it had that name, North Side Assembly of God Church. And not too many months thereafter, a decision was made that the name of the church would change. It, it needed to change, and primarily because the nature of the church was changing. And there was a desire on the part of leadership for the name of the church to more accurately reflect what was really taking place in the body of believers here. The church, as it had been in the past, had had uh, a reputation for all kinds of things and good things and wonderful healings took place in the, uh, when it was in, in its former location. It also had been a place that was classical Pentecostal by nature, and, um, and, and it had also had its fair share of legalism, and I have yet to find the person in 35 years who would deny that fact. Nonetheless, as we moved into the new season under the leadership of Pastor Des and Mary, the nature of the church was changing, and there was something unique that was happening here, and it was, it was changing, and so therefore they felt that the name of the church should change. I don't uh, remember exactly how long after we came that that took place, but it was some, some months thereafter, and so the name of the church was changed to what it is today, Bethesda Community Church. Now, in one regard, a name is just a name or it's just a way to identify a particular body of believers. It just says who we are. And, and in another regard, a name is extremely significant because it, it, um, it gives some degree of definition to that which you have and that's what you are, or, or it can point to the character and nature of that which is being named. And so Bethesda was chosen because the word Bethesda means what? It means house of, house of mercy. That's what the name Bethesda means. And that's what was taking place. There was just an enormous amount of mercy that God was letting us experience here. The character and nature of the fellowship was changing. You know, when I was preparing this and thinking about it, I couldn't help but think of a gentleman that many of us know here by the name of Gary Schaefer. Gary is a talented musician who served in Tarrant County in this area for a, a long time. And uh, back in those early, early days, right about this time, early 80s, right around there, I can't remember exactly when, he had gone through, he had gone through a real time of brokenness, a, mar a failed marriage and all kinds of things that were happening and it looked like his life was just really, really collapsing. As it happens, the last few weeks, he's had some very serious physical challenges, and it looked like he was coming to an end then also, but somehow the Lord has had different plans, and he today is still with us, and he's in rehab this morning, and we're continuing to pray for Gary. The Lord's touching him, even as he did back then. But I remember Gary came to us, and he sat in the services here, um, and, and the Lord just poured into him as he was going through a time of extreme brokenness. It was not unusual in those days for us to see pastors that had hit a bump in the road or had a real life um, catastrophe take place of some kind or a failure of some kind. They might be hiding in the balcony. They might be somewhere where they wouldn't be real visible, but they would come in and they would just drink of the worship that was taking place here and, and the preached word that was coming from this pulpit and just a time of healing. And that's how God was extending mercy to them. Them and showing them his mercy. When I think of Gary, I think of how he sat here and he would come and talk with myself and talk with Pastor Des. 
I don't remember saying anything particular, particularly profound. I don't even remember saying much of anything except just listening to him and praying for him and, and loving him. And I know Pastor Des would say the same thing. And I want to tell you, I don't think one year has gone by in the 35 years that I have been in Fort Worth that I've not received a phone call from Gary Schaefer just saying, can I just thank you? I just want to thank you again. My life was in a mess. But through what took place at Bethesda, God showed me mercy. And I just want to say thank you. How many of you know it's a good thing at Christmas time to be thankful? Bethesda means house of mercy. And I want us to look at this idea for just a few minutes this morning, even as we consider an aspect of the Christmas story. Most of us will be getting with family or friends in the next few days and sharing time together. And I pray for all of us that that will be a blessed time and something that you are looking forward to and anticipating with great joy. However, I also know that there will be some of us that will be getting with family members that maybe there's some degree of strain or there's some stress that's, that's going to be there. And you know, you're going to get with them because they're family members, but yet at the same time, through the rub of relationship, there's something that is there that makes it a little awkward or difficult or, or maybe even antagonistic. I pray not, but I know that that can happen. So regardless of what your circumstances are, as you go into this week, I pray it's going to be a joyous time, and we're going to look to the Word of the Lord this morning and see if the Lord has something to say to us that will help us, and that's certainly what I prayed, that the Lord will help us this, as we go into this wonderful Christmas week. The Christmas story has so many angles to it. It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus, God becoming man, Emmanuel, the Lord is with us. But one of the parts of the story that uh, is less known, that we spend less time talking about, is that which takes place right in the first chapter of Luke. If you want to go there in your Bibles this morning or on your devices, now quit la downloading the app, and you can go to your Bible, but that's it, okay? <clears throat> we're going to go to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at the birth of John the Baptist, which is given for us there in, in the Gospel of Luke, even before the birth of Jesus Christ. And it tells us how Zechariah and Elizabeth we're an elderly couple beyond, uh, beyond the years of childbearing for sure, but they really loved God, but they, were, they had longed for years for a son. They had prayed for a son, but she, Elizabeth, was barren, and now they had reached the point where, nah, it was too late. They were too old to have children. Elizabeth, we know, was related to Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. And before we even hear about Mary being visited and the announcement made to her about her having a child, the Bible gives us this story about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and it, and it happened this way. Zechariah was a priest. He was ministering in the temple, and his, he was part of some rotation plan, and his schedule came up. It was time for him to serve in the temple, and even to the day came, it was even his day to go into the sanctuary and to burn the incense. And even though he is an older guy, he is in there serving the Lord, being where he should be. And as I read that, right off the bat, I think there's a lesson for us here. I think there's something that we need to always understand, and that's, that's this. It's a truth here that God usually blesses us and speaks to us when we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. When we are busy about the ministry that he's given us. When he's called us to do something and we're being faithful to that, there is a much greater possibility that the Lord is going to speak to you and bless you and open up insight and understanding to you when you're busy doing what you're supposed to be doing, when you're faithful at what God has called you to do. Can I get an amen to that? So here's Zechariah in the sanctuary, 
And an angel appears and tells him, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth is going to have that baby. And he's going to be a very special baby. And there's quite a list of things about why he's special. None the least that he will be the one who will prepare the way for the Messiah to come, for the Lord Jesus to come. He's not to take in any wine or strong al- or, or alcoholic drinks, it says right there in the book of Luke. Check it out while I'm preaching if you want to. It's all right there. And it says he is, he's set apart for a special function. And in fact, he is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. Now, if you need an argument for the fact that abortion is wrong, you'd find a better one than that right there. You mean to tell me that God doesn't recognize or see that unborn fetus when he's willing to put the Holy Spirit in John the Baptist even when he's in his mother's womb? I'm going to tell you something. The Lord knows and He sees us. He knows exactly what's... He knew what you were like when you were in your mother's womb. And that's why I have to believe, and I'm not here to take a political stance with you. I'm sorry this has even become a political issue, but I happen to believe that the Lord knit us in our mother's womb. He knows us. He knows our frame. We have value to Him. We are important to Him. And that's why abortion is wrong. It says he will be the one who will go ahead of the Messiah who's coming, and he's going to announce his appearance and make a way for the Messiah to come in the hearts of people. So here's what happens. Even though Zechariah is a godly man, serving faithfully in ministry, he struggles with this news. He basically says, how can this be? My wife is no spring chicken. I'm an old man. She's barren. This can't possibly, you got to be kidding me, this can't possibly be. Isn't it amazing how the very thing they had prayed for, for years and years and years, and God does it, and he says, how can this be? But haven't we all done that? Haven't we all done that? Prayed for something, and we can even be fervent in our prayer about it, and then God answers and does the very thing we prayed for, and we're just shocked. Who's that happened for in the house? Let me see. Come on, has that ever happened to you? Makes me think of what's happened to hear us to hear happened to us here just recently. It was just about two years ago, from this pulpit, January of 2012, I stood before you congregation with nothing to go on but a, but just the word of the Lord and the idea that I believed God was telling us we were to open Bethesda School of Ministry. It was this thing that God had been birthing in my heart for a long time. I believe that it's important that we are diligent during our watch to be sure that we take the fundamentals of the Word of God and that which does not change and pass it on to the next generation and say to them, we know that you're going to do this in your own expression, in your own way, and whatever, with whatever creativity God gives you. But here are the things that don't change. And we want to be sure we've been diligent to pass these on to you. Here, let us help you. And when you're in leadership of the church, here's a good path to go. It's not the only one possible, but it's a good one. Here's how this can happen. Let us help you in learning media. Let us help you in learning music and worship. Leading. Let us help you in pastoral ministries for people who are feeling the call of God. We wanted to be faithful to be sure that we had made place for that, for younger people who were coming along behind us. We had an eye toward those who were coming along behind us. I had nothing. didn't have a dime. Not a dime. 
Well, all the numbers came together. First set of numbers, and then there's always adjustments. And if you've ever done a project, you know how that goes. And it ends up it's going to cost us $450,000 to finish 9,000 square feet of unfinished space that we had in the northwest upstairs of our facility that had been there since 2005. $450,000. I don't know about your house. That's a lot of money at my house. We don't have that. And it just, it was overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming. But you know what? What we had was the word of the Lord. And all I knew to do was to be faithful. And I say this to, to point to something specific this morning. And all we did was come and say, church, here's what we feel the Lord is saying. And before the first offering was received, this congregation had given roughly $340,000. And I was shocked. I said, how could this be? The very thing I prayed for. I said, how could it be? And then we got to the, we got to the board meeting this last August with the board. And we, had our, uh, we had that appropriate measure of celebrating God's goodness, and we couldn't believe God had supplied that much. And then we kind of had to come to the realization after we did all that. They didn't say it like this, but this is kind of the way my ears heard it. You know, Dan, that's really great. It's wonderful. But we know the project's going to be $450,000. You got a plan there, big boy, for the rest of it? They didn't say it like that. It just kind of felt that way. And I kind of said, uh, no, but I trust the Lord. He's brought us this far. So we get, what do we do? We begin to pray. Lord, what's your plan here? Well, there's an there's a anniversary service coming up on September the 8th. Why don't you ask the congregation to bring a thank offering before the Lord? Okay. I had two weeks to make it known. We're going to bring a thank offering just to thank the Lord for his faithfulness to us for the 75 years we've been, in, we've been in existence here. Just to thank the Lord. So would you come and then we're going to use that to help finish the construction. My faith was, if I really stretched it, was for a $20,000 offering. That would, have been a, that would have been a big offering that day. Maybe twenty-five. The day comes. We take the offering. September 8th, just a few months ago, a few weeks ago. Finished the service. Becky and I were praying with some folks at the front and greeting some folks. And the finance committee are off counting that offering. And they walked back into me sometime after that. And the chairman of our finance committee walked to me and handed me a piece of paper and said, Pastor, when it was all said and done, that offering was $102,000. Unbelievable. And I was shocked. And in my heart I said, how can this be? Haven't we all done that? The same thing Zechariah did. Let me take it one step further because I, I just got to tell you. So that $450,000 and Mike Maddox, the chairman of our board, has done a wonderful job helping me communicate this to you, what we're believing God to help us do going forward. That gets us walls and a floor and paint, lights, air conditioning, heating, and all that stuff. We've had some things donated, furnishing, where there's lots of, there's some big Macintosh computers that have been donated to help facilitate the media lab, and the, the school, Bethesda Christian School is buying the chairs for the band hall and the studio, and, and instrument storage cabinets, and all kinds of wonderful things that's there, but there's still lots that have, has to happen to facilitate it and to go forward. Well, this past board meeting, the board said, we can't stop here. We have to be sure we bring this thing to completion. And so we're going to have to determine exactly what that cost is going to be, and that's still in the process of happening. But this past Monday, I'm sitting in the staff meeting, conducting the staff meeting, and Priscilla walks in, and she says, Pastor, here's a piece of paper. You might want to read it. Just this past Monday. Handed it to me, and it was a letter telling me that a check was coming to us to help facilitate 
what we're going to do there for $100,000. Now, I don't know what your heart does, but my heart says, how can this be? We haven't even gone before the congregation and told them that we're going to have to do that. You know what? Because if God gives the plan and God wants to, what that which he births and that which is his idea, when we're obedient to that, he will see to it, church. He will see to it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So here's Zechariah. He's received this news from the angel. And he's basically saying, how can, you know, it can't possibly happen. And the angel gets a little ticked off at his response. It's not what the angel was expecting. And says, wait a minute. I'm an angel sent from the very presence of Almighty God to give you this news. And you're asking me, how could this be? Really? That's what you're saying to me? Let me remind you, God can do anything. Let me try it over here. God can do anything. I wish we had time to take about five minutes. I'm not going to do it because i got way too much to share with you this morning. But just meditate on those words. God can do anything. Because most of us in the room this morning are facing something that seems absolutely impossible. You may be facing it this week. And most of us are facing some sort of circumstances that have been going on for a while, like as, as did Zechariah and Elizabeth. You understand, they had reached the point, and they prayed for years, it hadn't happened. They prayed for a long time. And so they reached the point of, oh well, it is what it is. I guess, okay, move on. And then they go past the years of childbearing, but they still got to promise them a son. God can do it. So if you're in that situation this morning where it's, you've prayed so long you've given up, I want to remind you, don't give up on what the Lord can do for you because God can do anything, even when it's gone past your timetable. Somebody say amen to that this morning. So the angel's not happy about his response. It's okay, you're going to ask me how could God do anything? So since you've done that, since that's been your response, what does the angel do? He says, from now on, you're not going to be able to talk your mouth is going to be shut. I'm going to close your mouth because you didn't believe the message that the Lord gave you. That could preach, but I'm going to leave it alone, and you should be thankful that I'm going to. Notice how it's the opposite response that Mary had when she received the news from the angel. She believed the phenomenal message that the angel gave her. And listen to what that was. You're going to remain a virgin. You're going to give birth to a, a, a baby. And that baby will be the son of the living God. If anybody ought to have a right to go, how could this be? You're going to remain a virgin. You're going to give birth to a baby. And that baby will be the son of the living God. And what did she respond? Be it unto me according to your word. Church, whatever impossible thing that has come into your mind that you believe the Lord wants to do for you today, let your response be, be it unto me according to your so Zechariah's mouth is closed in the sanctuary, and he finally comes out. The people assume he's seen a vision because he's simply gesturing because he can't talk. He goes home. He's with his wife. She becomes pregnant, and all the people are saying, look how God has blessed this woman. She's up in years, and yet she's going to have a baby. But, you know, he still can't talk. 
This reminds us of a little lesson here this morning also along the way, and that is this. When you're not full of faith, you're not usually full of praise. When you're not full of faith, you're not typically full of praise. Because people who are full of praise are people who are full of faith. That's good, Dan. Amen. Yes, it's good. You get so quiet on me sometimes. Thank you. When you don't believe what God says in His Word, and some of us still read the Word as if it's an option, and we have our mute button on our phones... When you don't believe what God says in His Word, then typically you're mumbling and you're complaining and you're worrying. But when you feed on the promises of God and you believe them, then your mouth is open and you're praising God. You're saying, oh, He's awesome. Look what God is doing. I can't believe what all is happening. It's amazing that this is happening. And when you're not believing like Zechariah, your mouth is closed. How many of you, like me, want to be full of faith and full of praise as you go into 2014? Come on, how many of you want that to happen? Then put your hands together and say, Lord, let that happen. Be it unto me. So now Elizabeth is pregnant, and now the angel goes to Mary and tells her that her cousin, you know, said, Mary, you're going to be giving birth to the Savior, and even now your cousin Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy, and for with God nothing is impossible. Mary gets so excited, and she goes off to see Elizabeth, and what a story, because with God nothing is impossible. doesn't matter what you're facing, nothing is impossible. Say it with me, nothing is impossible. Say it again, nothing is impossible. So now Mary is with Elizabeth for a while, and Elizabeth gives birth to her baby, and it's time to name the baby. Critical moment. And all the folks thought he should obviously be named Zechariah after his father. But the problem is the angel had said his name will be John, and so Elizabeth said, no, 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 no. We will name him John because that's what the angel said. And all the people thought, how many know there's there's always people around with opinions? How many of you have people around your life with opinions? And the rest of you are lying to me. <laughs> All the people thought, well, he's don't, you don't have anybody named John in your family. Why are you going to name him John? Well, that was what the angel had said. What a strange thing to name him John, they thought. So, well, let's go, let's go ask your husband, Zachariah. See what he says. We well, can't ask him. He can't talk. His mouth has been closed by the angel. So they go get Zachariah. He finds a tablet of some kind, and he says, his name will be John. And the minute he said that, or the minute he wrote that on that tablet, the minute he agrees with what God has said, he could speak again, and he began praising God. Sounds like I don't need to say much about that. When you believe and you confess what the Lord has said, and you base your life upon the Word of God, then your mouth is open and you can give praise to the name of the Lord Jesus. When you're doubting and you're double-minded, you become mute, depressed, discouraged. Church, it's time as we go into this 2014, this new year that God has given us, it's time to say, this year we're going to be full of faith, we're going to be full of praise, and we're going to believe the Word of the Lord, and we're going to obey it and do what He says. For the glory of Jesus. Well, right in the middle of this story, we have two, in the, in the first chapter of Luke, we have two expressions that I want us to look at very quickly before we close today. One is a song, and the other is a prophecy. The first is Mary's song. 
While Mary is with Elizabeth, she begins to celebrate what God is doing. You've heard this so many times. When Zechariah's mouth is opened after he says his name should be called John, he begins to prophesy. He begins to speak out under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that's really what prophecy is. It's speaking out that which God has inspired you to say. Sometimes we throw out these words in church and not everybody has a clear understanding. Well, what's, what's, what's the prophetic word? What's prophecy? Prophecy is simply speaking out that which God has inspired you to say. Sometimes it's predicting things in the future or foretelling. There are times that's what it is. And sometimes it's simply expressing that which is on God's heart or forthtelling. There's a difference. Foretelling that which is going to happen in the future. If God has given you that word to give that, that's forthtelling. And sometimes it's simply expressing his heart, what he's saying, or forthtelling. But I want you to notice one word that repeats itself over and over and over in these two expressions, the one of Mary and the one of Zechariah. First, we see it in Mary's song, and then we'll pick it up in Zechariah's prophecy. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Put it up for me, please. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. Or we know it as, My soul doth, doth magnify the Lord. And how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. He has helped, uh, let's go to verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. And then when we jump to verse 67, we read Zechariah's prophecy. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Then his father, speaking of John, then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord! the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. And then later on in verse 77, he's still prophesying. He says, you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Look again more closely at verse 78. Because of God's tender mercy. I did my homework on that, and I found out what the Greek says right there. Its word is slightly different because the translators have put it because of God's tender mercy. You know what the original says? Because of his bowels of compassion. Deep within God, there is a compassion for his children and a longing, his tender mercies, bowels of compassion that he wants to pour out upon us. Notice how many times with me that word mercy is mentioned all around the story of the birth of Jesus. It's as if this mercy of God is now going to be fully extended or fully accomplished because now when the Savior has come and when he dies on the cross and when he sheds his blood, now God's mercy will have a judicial foundation to fully be expressed because now he, the Holy One, will die for the unholy ones. 
His blood will be shed and now God can really show his mercy and forgive all of us our sins as we put our faith in the substitute that he sent to earth for us, Jesus. The thing that God is delighting in here, the thing that is just so wonderful for him is this thing called mercy. God has always shown mercy. In the Old Testament, he's known as the merciful one, abounding in mercy. But now with the coming of Jesus, Zechariah and Mary are saying, oh, now, now God is fully expressing in the most incredible way he's going to do what his merciful heart has always wanted to do. He's providing a basis to forgive everybody their sins who will come and ask for mercy and put their faith in the Savior. Mercy. House of mercy. And the Bible says this. It, it doesn't say just that God has mercy it says he's rich in mercy. He's not just one who shows mercy. No, no, no. He's abounding in mercy. He's rich, resourceful in mercy for us. And that he loves to show mercy. He loves to extend his mercy. It says that even in his wrath, many times, he remembers mercy. When he's dealing with us, when we've displeased him, when we've gone our own way. And hasn't that happened to all of us? He remembers mercy. He delights in mercy. How many of you today are thankful for the mercy of God? Well, what is mercy? And what's the difference between mercy and grace? Two words, again, we throw around in Christian language a lot. Well, the theologians break it down for us like this. If you want a, just a simple definition. Mercy is when you don't receive what you deserve. Mercy is when you don't receive what you deserve. Grace is when you do receive what you don't deserve. Grace is when you do receive what you don't deserve. Mercy is like, it's like when you're condemned and you did the crime and now you got to do the time. But mercy says, no, I'm not going to let you go. That's not going to happen. Just because you did, yeah, I know you did that. I know you messed up. I know it was wrong. Yeah. But mercy says, no, you're not going to have to pay the punishment. You've been extended mercy. And the truth is, whether you agree with it or not, we are all here today because of God's mercy. Now, there's some amazing things about mercy I want you to notice with me. Most of us tend to want justice for other people, but mercy for ourselves. <laughs> it's the truth. Most of us, when we find out what somebody else did, well, she did that, and she deserved what she got coming to her. She made her bed, she got a lion. You do the time, you do the crime, you do the... But when it comes to us, oh God, have mercy. Isn't that what we do? That's exactly what we do. Justice for everybody else, but mercy for us. How many of you are glad today you haven't always gotten what you deserved? Now, if we really understand mercy correctly, it will help us in our prayer, in our prayer life will help us in our walk with the Lord here at Christmas time and in the new year. Because someone who understands mercy 
is someone who not, does not go before the Lord reminding him of everything you've done, all the good things you've done. Lord, you know I've, I've been faithful to church. I've given my tithes. I even gave it an offering for the school of ministry. I've done this. I've done, isn't, isn't that wonderful, Lord? No, no, no. Because if he takes out the full record on you, you're going to be getting out of town really fast. If he takes the full record out on me, that's not the way it works. That's why it makes a difference when we understand mercy and that God has extended his rich mercy to us. It affects the way we approach the Lord. It affects the way we pray. It affects the way we walk with others. It removes us of pride. And all we have to say is, Lord, have mercy because all of God's dealings with us are based upon his mercy. When David sinned and he wrote Psalm 51, notice how he started it. The first thing he says is not... He doesn't say, oh, God, remember, remember Goliath? Remember the bear and the lion? Remember, you know, the slingshot? Remember all that? No. No, what's the first thing he says? Have mercy upon me. You don't ever want to bring up anything that you've done in the past. If you want to have answers from the Lord, then what you do is you go to him and you say, Lord, I, I know that you delight in mercy. I need you to show me. Please have mercy upon me because of your unfailing love. Now, the reason this is sometimes hard for us to understand is because we don't naturally enjoy showing mercy. It doesn't come easy for us. God has to put mercy in us. Most of us like justice, as I mentioned. But none of us can live like that before the Lord. God doesn't deal with us with justice. He deals with us in mercy. Now, there's two kinds of mercy I want to talk about quickly. There's outstanding what we call single mercies, and then there's everyday mercies. You know, you woke up this morning. I think most of you are awake, most of you. That's because of the mercy of God. You were able to get to church today. You'll be able to eat today because of the mercy of God. Because new every morning are His mercies, and great is His faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for new mercies every morning. I had a sleepless night this week. Honestly, normally, you've probably heard me talk about it. That's not normal for me. I usually go to sleep very quickly and very blessed in that way. It makes Becky so mad. She has to toss and turn for two hours every night. We, uh, the only television program I watch with any regularity is Nightline. I used to, Ted Koppel was the, the host. I watched it then. And if you ever watch it now, it's a 30-minute program with three 10-minute segments. Now they've moved it to... Uh, later, this few months ago, like it's 11.30. There's no way I'm staying up to 11.30 to watch it. So I record it, and then the next night I catch up on the night before. It's quite an amazing plan I have there. <laughs> so when it first comes on, <clears throat> when I first, you know, crawl in the bed, and I'm laying there, and I, 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 there's little previews. The three little stories are going to be this, this, and this. And I'm thinking, oh, that's interesting. I'd like to see that. And, oh, that one's okay. Yeah. And then, oh, I'd like to stay awake for that one. I don't know if I'll make it or not. So one night this week, not my sleepless night, but another night this week, I was kind of aware that the program came on and I fell asleep pretty quickly. And I, next morning I said to Becky, I said, did, did, I, did I make it through the first of those three stories last night? She said, you were snoring at the end of the first paragraph. <laughs> so I didn't. But I had another night this week. You know, and I know that you've, you've all had them. Just life stuff, just, you're laying there. How many know at night your problems, like, grow exponentially? Does that happen to anybody else here? Every conversation you've had, you replay it. 
and you add stuff to it and you make it worse. And you go down all the what ifs. Well, what if this and what if that? And all that sets in and the enemy just comes in and he has a heyday and you cannot go to sleep to, for anything. Well, you know, I, I had one of those this week. It was tough. Made it through the night, obviously. But you know what? It was so amazing the next morning I got up because his mercies were new. His mercies were new. And I could almost giggle at the stupid things I thought laying in bed the night before. Stupid! How did I allow that to get that blown out of proportion? And I woke up and all I could say is, Lord, thank you that your mercies are new. <laughs> you probably giggle at what I was thinking last night too. But I'm so thankful that his mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. Can you say amen to that? So there's everyday mercies. But then there's times in our lives when we've blown it. We've lost our way. Where God steps in, he shows great mercy. Not only just to forgive us, but to keep things so that we can go on without all of life blowing up. If we could know the stories, all the stories in this room today, and thank God we won't, but if we could know all the stories, it would blow our mind. And you know what? Your story could have played out another way, but for the mercy of God. Now, you go ahead and get real quiet on me for this next two minutes. You can just sit there real quiet. Don't look to your right or your left. Don't nudge nobody, because I'm telling you the truth. If it weren't for the mercy of God, our story could have played out a different way. It could have gotten exposed to your whole world and destroyed you. The car could have gone off the cliff. That gunshot could have come right towards you instead of averting you. That drug high could have killed you, but it didn't. That's because God was giving you what you didn't deserve. It's called mercy. Say it with me. Mercy. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be Jesus. Can I just thank you, Lord Jesus, for your mercy today? When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all you've done for me, how you've kept me, how you've protected me, kept things from blowing up as they should have, kept things in, when I've messed up so bad, Lord Jesus, I didn't get what I deserved. Can I just thank you? Could you, church, can you just thank the Lord with me this morning for his mercy? Is there anybody in the house that's thankful for his mercy? Come on, let's just thank the Lord Jesus for his mercy today. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Now here's the thing is, I really am going to close sometime today. Sometime before Christmas, I promise to close. As I said earlier, the strange thing about this, <clears throat> it's unnatural for us to be merciful. Our natural instinct is to try to mete out justice like we're some kind of judge. We feel perfectly fine gossiping and slandering people and talking about them behind their back. Yet all the while, God's kept quiet what we've done. He's kept quiet what we've done. We're talking trash about other people. But has God done that with you when he knows all about your life? Or has he covered you with his blood and forgiven and forgotten? Imagine after all God has done for you and for me, we want to judge other people. Isn't that insanity when you really think about it? We want to give our opinion about other people like it's really important what we think. 
How about if we ask God what he thinks? Zachariah and Mary are telling us in these two pieces of Scripture, oh, the mercy of God. God delights in mercy. If you're here today carrying some load of guilt or condemnation, you want to make God happy. Give him a chance to do what he delights to do, and that's to show mercy. That only happens by you coming before the Lord and saying, God, have, Lord, would you have mercy upon me? Would you have mercy? And what you're going to find is he's not going to say, oh, it's you again. How many times are we going to go through this? Are we going to keep going around this mountain? You think that's what, that's what God's going to say? No. Let me tell you what God's going to say. He's going to say, oh, you've come. You've come, and I get to show you mercy. Because he's rich in mercy and he delights in extending his mercy to us. That's all that has to happen. For you to say, oh God, have mercy. I get overjoyed when I can show mercy. I delight in showing mercy. We're like the other way. We're like begrudging people when they come. Oh, Pastor Dan, would you please forgive me for what I did? You know I didn't mean to bring you harm. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm filing this one away. I'm going to remember this one just in case. No, God delights in mercy. You want to make God happy today? Then give him something he can show mercy on. You may say, Pastor Dan, that's crazy. No, Micah 7, 18 says he delights in mercy. Why have an unholy Christmas? Why have a condemning Christmas? Why have a guilty Christmas? Why have a Christmas with that load on your back? Why don't you bring it to Jesus and just say, Lord, have mercy on me. Not for anything in me, but because of your bowels of compassion and your heart of love. That's the way to have a great Christmas. And now finally, God says to us, be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. How many of you want to be shown more mercy in this new year? I don't want justice. I want more mercy every day. So God says this. You want to increase the mercy shown? Then there's one simple way. Show mercy. You extend it to others. And do it this Christmas. Do it right now. You extend. We want to be imitators of God. You want to know a way that we can imitate God? We can't be omnipotent, having all power. We can't be omniscient, having all knowledge. We can't be everywhere. We can't do that. But this is a way we can imitate God. We can show mercy. But Dan, you don't know what they did to me. I got to go have dinner with him on Wednesday. You know, I'm going to tolerate him at Christmas. You don't know what he did. I don't care. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Because God knows what you did, and he still showed you mercy. Dan, why don't you just lay it out straight? Okay. He's rich in mercy. And the way we can imitate the Lord is to extend mercy to others. You know the parable about the guy who owed his boss $10,000. The guy couldn't pay it, so he pled with his boss, who finally released him from that debt. And the boss said, okay, you owe me the money, but I, I want to show you mercy, so I'm, I'm going to let it slide this time. The guy, oh, oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, I'm so grateful. Goes home, tells his wife, you know what, we didn't have the money. And the boss, I, I don't know what was going to happen. It was going to put us under. And he forgave the debt. We don't have to pay the $10,000. Oh, that's wonderful, sweetheart. Goes out, hey, Johnny, you owe me 100 bucks. Where's that hundred bucks you owe me? I don't want to hear your story about it. I just want to, where, I need the money. Where's the hundred bucks? Isn't that us? Isn't that us? Haven't we all been that way? 
The measuring stick we use for others is not the one we use for ourselves. We should have one measuring stick, and that one measuring stick is called mercy. Amen, Dan. God says there's one way that you can imitate me, and that's this, you can show mercy. So for Christmas, here's what the Lord is saying to us. Come on, Pastor Brent. Why don't you give about three people this week the gift of mercy? More if you can or more if you need to. I'm just hoping that some of us will think of three people. The truth is some of you right now know who the three people are in your mind. It may be more than that. Why don't you give them the gift of mercy? You don't have to wrap it in a present. You don't have to put a tag on it. You don't have to put a bow on it. Just from your heart, let it go. Just let, them, just let it be in your, your expression of them. I'm going to love you in the name of Jesus. And I forgive you because I want to be like my Savior who has shown me so much mercy. You know, there's some of us, it's like we have a little, little black book. And there are names written in that little black book. And it's not the Lamb's book of life. It's got the name of everyone who has ever hurt us over the last 20 years, 30 years, who's ever done us wrong. And we keep that black book. And all we have to do is mention the name of someone in that black book and you can, that you remember from 20, 30 years ago what they did to you. And the truth is we've all done this. But God is saying to us this morning, if you want to have a truly holy Christmas, then show mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain or receive mercy. So I'm asking you to think of just three people this Christmas season that you're going to make a deliberate effort to show mercy and see what the Lord does. Let's bow our heads for prayer. If you're here today and you've lost your way, maybe you've made some mistakes or you've been involved in something you shouldn't be involved in, why don't you just ask God for mercy? Why don't you make him happy and let him do what he loves to do? He delights in mercy. He wants to show you mercy. All you have to do is say, Lord, have mercy upon me. Or maybe you're here today and you're agitated or irritated with certain people or someone who's done you wrong. It's like an abrasion in your heart and in your soul, robbing you of peace and joy. But somehow this message has spoken to you. Something's been said, not so much by me, but by the power of the Holy Spirit as you've recognized the truth in the Word of God here today. And you're saying, you know what? It's time for me to show mercy. I'm going to let it go and see what God will do. I'm going to do this in just a few remaining minutes. We're going to dismiss in just a couple of minutes. If you fall within either of these situations, either you need to receive mercy, you're saying to the Lord, Lord, have mercy upon me. I don't want to get what I deserve. I know what I deserve, and I don't want that. If that's you... Or maybe you're someone who is realizing your need to extend mercy to someone else. I'm asking you just to get up out of your seat and come and join me for a word of prayer just for two minutes this morning. Get up in the balcony, all over the main floor. Please just get up out of your seat and let's just have a word of prayer. You're saying, I want to receive the mercy of the Lord. Or you're saying, I need to extend mercy. Just come right down here to the front. Not embarrassing anyone. We're simply saying, I need God's mercy. Or there's someone to whom I need to extend mercy. And I want God's help to do it.